0: Reality TV is often dismissed as a guilty pleasure, or lowbrow, even trash TV. But whether you wanna admit it or not, you probably have heard of, let's say, Snooki, or, hmm, I don't even wanna say her name, Lisa Vanderpump. And if not, you've definitely heard of Kim Kardashian. On Spectacle, you'll learn why reality TV isn't a waste of time at all and explore the way it has shaped our culture and how our culture shaped it. Over the past 30 years, reality TV has become a place to see the social and political moment play out in real time. From racial tensions on the real world in New York to gender dynamics on The Bachelor, On Spectacle, you'll hear from cast members like Queer Eye's Bobby Burke or Chris Sapphire from The Circle U.S., but also we'll analyze these shows with experts and fans. You know Vulture's Brian Moylan? I know I do. (laughs) Comedian Nicole Byer or scholar Raquel Gates? You'll nerd out on everything from problematic producing to racist casting and completely messed up editing, which I know about a little, and you'll hear about some of the episodes that have been scrubbed from TV history, no longer to be seen. Spectacle: An Unscripted History of Reality TV is a new documentary podcast series from Neon Hum Media. Season one covers reality TV in a way that has never been done before, from The Bachelor's problematic take on gender to the real world's casting for conflict. Spectacle unpacks the wild and hyper real history of unscripted television, one moment at a time. We examine how the genre has changed over time and how. The country has changed along with it. In each episode, we relive the most popular moments in TV history and how these shows changed our culture. Shows like Survivor, 90 Day Fiance, which I love, The Real Housewives, mixed emotions on that one, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, I Feel Like They're My Family, Queer Eye, I think the first of its type of show, so interested to see to see and hear about that, hosted by writer, comedian, and producer Mariah Smith, along with reality stars each week, like Queer Eyes and Bobby Burke, The Real World, New York's Norman Corpy, The Bachelor and The Bachelorettes, Jen Schefft, Waterman, The Great British Baking Shows, David Atherton, The Circle, US's Chris Sapphire, and... Let's be honest, I'm going to put myself on this show at some point. It's me, Brandy Glenville, by the way. So subscribe to Spectacle to get the unscripted history of reality TV on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I'll be listening. That's for damn sure. And if they talk about me, I know who and where they record.
1: Jen Sheft was on the third season of The Bachelor, given the final rose by Andrew Firestone. Shortly after they broke up, ABC chose her as the third Bachelorette. And from the start, she felt a give-and-take relationship with her producers. She remembers bartering with them for some time with Andrew in the fantasy suite. Alone time, off
2: camera. It was sort of like, if you maybe kiss each other for a little bit and give us, you know, the the shot that we want, then we'll get out of your hair. I was like, all right, let's. Let's get you guys out of here, because I just want to be with him, not everybody.
1: You would think being The Bachelorette was better than being a contestant. Instead of competing against 25 other women for a prize, you are the prize.
2: But that's not how Jen saw it. When I did The Bachelorette, all the pressure is on me to make a good show and to fall in love. Dating multiple people at once didn't come naturally. It felt weird. So for me, it was hard to pretend that I was like interested in all these people when, you know, I didn't necessarily feel that. Jane did develop
1: feelings for a couple of the guys. One in particular stood out, Jerry. He was a 29-year-old art gallery director from Los Angeles. During their whirlwind romance, they went to Cape Cod and Bermuda. They danced to a private band under the stars. Jane felt a spark with Jerry. But she wasn't gunning to marry him. And the producers did not like that. They tried to convince her that she was making a big mistake.
2: They were like, people are invested in you. They want you to find someone. If You know, maybe you need to be less shallow. Maybe, you, you know, I mean, they definitely, they didn't tell me what to do, but they tried to beat me down and tried to make me feel like I was just gonna be looked at as like the worst person out there and very cold and unfeeling and bitchy. Um, So if you don't choose someone, that's what's gonna come across. And I don't think that's what you want, right, Jen? Keep in mind, The Bachelorette is made in seclusion. Jen's not allowed to talk to
1: friends or family. People you normally bounce big decisions off of. You know, like marriage. She was around producers all day. She confided in them, talked to them like friends. But they were not her friends. They were making a show, a competition show that is orchestrated to end in two people getting engaged.
2: By not wanting to choose anyone, Jen was blowing it all up. But I really feel like they thought I was going to end the show because the show is about finding a love connection and I didn't find it. So that was really bad, really bad for the show. So she gave in. I didn't want to be with anybody on that final show, but I was like, okay, I'll pick Jerry. Jen chose Jerry, but they didn't get engaged in the final rose ceremony.
1: It was more of a commitment to continuing their love story outside of the show. But after the finale, ABC aired its After the Final Rose special, where Chris Harrison brought the couple back to dish on the season. And Jerry got down on one knee
2: and proposed to Jen. and. Jen said no. I was called like old maid of the week or people like Elizabeth Hasselbeck on The View saying that I was going to be a bachelorette for the rest of my life.
1: It all sounds pretty sexist, but to be fair, the tabloids weren't nice to bachelor Aaron Berge either. He was the bachelor all the way back in season two in 2002. They accused Aaron of being a serial fiancé. He remembers being accosted by a mother and daughter at the doctor's office. They were angry that he broke up with his final pick, Helene.
2: And I just threw a hand out and just said, Hi, I'm Aaron. I don't think we've ever actually met. And just doing that
1: was enough for them to be like, Oh my gosh, we were so sorry. We don't even know you. That's what you get when you sign up to be The Bachelor. Strangers calling you out, questioning your choices. But what about questioning the show? Like how it puts marriage on a pedestal? Or why it allowed a white supremacist to be cast as the contender for the franchise's first black bachelorette? And why does it perpetuate this idea that wanting sex makes you a slut? If we're being honest, the patriarchy is as much a part of The Bachelor as the rose ceremony. The show has long promoted that marriage is the ultimate prize for any woman women wait nervously for those roses
2: Andy we just said this rose yes, it was.
1: I feel like Hannah Brown's season from 2019 was a watershed moment for the show she was a woman of faith but she'd call out BS when she saw it she exposed the shame the show had around sex
0: so like I have had
1: sex. Say so what? Yeah. And I, Jesus still loves me. It promotes this idea that sex should be saved, that it's sacred. But for the majority of Americans, premarital sex is the norm. It's like the mansion is frozen in time. For much of its run, the franchise has been pretty homogenous. White, conservative, and for a while, evangelical. It's kind of a running joke that people of color on the show don't make it far. Just like horror movies, they're killed off fast. Back in 2016, Splinter News reported a Black contestant never made it past five weeks on The Bachelor or Bachelorette. It took 15 years before the franchise chose a Black lead.
0: Yes, our new bachelorette is Rachel Lindsay, making her the first Black bachelor or bachelorette
1: in franchise
0: history. Rachel
1: ticked every box. She was an attorney, came from a great family, and she's gorgeous.
2: I think it's absolutely accurate to
1: say that Rachel needed to clear so many hurdles in order to be considered perfect enough to be the first Black woman cast as a lead on a Bachelor show. That's Emma Gray. She co-hosts Here to Make Friends, a Huffington Post podcast about all things Bachelor Nation. Women of color on this show are certainly held to a higher standard than white women are, 100%. With that season, it was clear behind the scenes was not led by people of color, especially when a white supremacist made it onto the show when you have a bunch of white people making a show, and then they're like, yeah, diversity, representation's great. We just, like, put this Black woman in our show, cast a few more Black men than we normally would, but we have to talk about race. So, hey, maybe we can talk about race by, like, traumatizing this woman and putting a racist in front of her to date her. The lack of diversity on the production side is the show's Achilles' heel.